0: It's
1: the second time it's gone oh, They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that,
0: really.
2: Yeah, you can laugh. i the World Cup.
0: I'm a little bit of an idealist.
1: But having said that, I want to be like me.
0: You well, don't know
1: what you're talking about. What did your mother? I need to stay alive for six weeks. I've got a need. I'd
0: say it to your face, and I'll it to, you. It to you now. I went down, down
1: Twyfelfield, and I'm with what, you right? what you're doing down here. you
3: showing man. Man <laughs> delays jersey swap with another man. FIFA poised to name the best trademark uh, later today. Paul Merson and Phil Thompson fight the good fight for Albion. That's the country of lore, not the club based from based just outside Birmingham. And the FA Cup third round. What a weekend it's been. Welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with Murphy Ken. Say hello, Ken. Hi, Karen. How are you? Uh, well, I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, where do we start with this? You sound week? awful. <laughs> What's mm, I wrong? Know, well, I, I do have a sort of a chesty cough ailment. Mm, yeah. I'm currently medicating myself quite heavily, so yeah, yeah. if I drop off or anything over the course of this football show, it's not uh, a reflection on your journalistic qualities. Absolutely. It's, just, uh, it's you know, there's a, there's a cocktail at work here, Ken. I'm I'm hoping that it can get me through the end of this show.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Uh, I think I'd like to start with uh, Wayne Rooney, actually, mm. Ken, because uh, I love Wayne Rooney's tweets, usually. Yeah. Uh, there are two kinds. Briefly, I think we've talked about this before. One, where he wishes a boxer of his acquaintance well in an upcoming <laughs> fight with uh, a few spelling mistakes, grammatical errors, etc. And then there's, had a great time shooting with at Mars football today. It was amazing to see all of the fans support. Hashtag believe. Uh, but this one over the weekend...
2: Well, he also wishes people um, all the best when they have babies. <laughs> That's another thing that he
3: does. Uh,
2: Most recently, Harry Kane.
3: And also Deli Alley. Uh, I believe Dele Alley's expecting a child. Well, that was the...
2: That was the implication of what yeah. Wayne Rooney said. I mean, yeah. uh, Deli Alley and his partner seem to be blessed.
3: Mm. Uh, this one over the weekend, though. I find it amazing that I equal Sir Bobby Charlton's record. And this is a headline in the mail. He speaks, of course, of George Evans's apparent refusal to swap shirts with him at the end of the game on Saturday. And I happen to think that this one is actually directly from the brain of Wayne. Uh, what Evans actually did was refuse to indulge in something that also really annoys real football men, which is gratuitously uh, swapping jerseys at the end of a game, despite the fact that you may have been absolutely hammered in that game. Uh, and yet this still ends up with old runes getting... Loads of abuse. I mean, was that the highlight of your FA Cup third round? Do you
2: you think it came from the brain of Wayne Rooney? Yeah, it well, came from the brain of Wayne. Well, was it not in the Daily Mail? I mean, that's what he was sa- he he was saying that Daily Mail turned it into a story, which I'm sure they did. I mean, it was mm. it was kind of a story everywhere. Um, after people had just seen the video, which appeared to show George Evans saying "nah, not, nah, not, not for into me. it," yeah. but what George Evans was doing was observing the protocols. Um, His team had just lost 4-0, and he didn't want to be swapping shirts in front of everyone. He was going to do it a little bit later Mm. um, in the privacy of the dressing room tunnel area, which seems fair enough. Mm. Um, I don't know how amazed Rooney really was to see that there was a negative story about him, uh, even on a day when he need his way alongside Bobby Charlton in the the pantheon of Manchester United greats. That is what usually happens with Wayne Rooney, I suppose, at this point.
3: Well, I know what uh, many people's highlight of the weekend was, and uh, that was the news that Ken's ghouls was going to be making an appearance. Mm. Uh, We asked our Twitter followers what they wanted. The response was immediate. Over 300 votes. Uh, 1,300 votes, Ken. Mm. Uh, 58% of those who were polled wanted a complete round of ghouls. 20% wanted shortened ghouls. And uh, a meagre, well, 22%. Uh, wanted no ghouls whatsoever. So only one out of five of our, uh, one, only one in five of our listeners really hate this slot that we're about to do. Mm. Uh, you just can't argue with those numbers. So please, Ken. All thirty. Well, we're going to have thirty-two games over the course of the show. How about sixteen now and sixteen maybe later Something on? Something like sixteen.
2: The magpie is renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and eleven magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren.
0: Oh, oh, what a goal! Oh, that's a magnificent goal. Interesting. Very interesting! Oh!
3: Ken's goals. Oh, it wasn't
2: bad, was it? <laughs> West Ham nil, Manchester City 5. In the wide-open spaces of the London Stadium, the Sky Blues at last had the room to engage in some blue-sky thinking. Touré, Nordvide Silva, Aguero and Stones all struck with bolts from the blue to leave poor Slavin Bilic slavering biliously. Preston North End 1, Arsenal 2. It looked as though the Gunners' FA Cup hopes would come to an end in the north at Preston when <laughs> Callum Robinson bundled in the opener in seven minutes. But Gunner Ramsey's cannonball in the 46 minute level matters for Olivier Giroux's decisive late salvo. Ensured these Gunners would not be spiked. Wickham 2, Starbridge 1. It was high noon at High Wickham as the Glass Boys were polished off. Sam Wood smashed through their early resistance before Danskar hit back, but the creaking Glass Boys finally shattered under the 102 kilo bulk of Adebayo and Fenwa noted a late winner
3: he's a big lad isn't he he's a very big lad
2: Wigan 2 Nottingham Forest nil. soil erosion will be a concern for the 2017 FA Cup after this tragic episode of deforestation at the DW Stadium <laughs> Galatics Will Griggs set the forest up in smoke before Philip had chopped down what remained of their resistance <laughs> Eric Lichai had the chance to douse the flames with the late penalty but unlike Robin Hood he missed <laughs> West Brom 1 Derby 2 uh, Matt Phillips bagged an opener for the baggies, but the Rams butted back through Benton Inns to bag and tag the saggy baggies. <laughs> Watford 2, Burton Albion Nil. These blithe brewers ended up in anaphylactic shock as Watford Hornets, perhaps attracted by their opponents' tasty malt sugar coating, formed a lethal blanket of singing insects, with Christian Cabazalian Jerome Sinclair delivering the venomous goods. Sudden United Nil, AFC Wimbledon Nil. Those who went to Green Lane to have a gander at the ewes against the Wombles came away, having witnessed a case of double O Nothing licensed to replay. <laughs> Sunderland Nil. I thought you
3: were just gonna leave out the nils. I'm 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 impressed.
2: Sunderland Nil, Burnley Nil. Black cats are supposed to be lucky, but there was a little fortune in front of goal for these black cats. As the clarets took a draw back to the home of the White Rose. I <laughs> say <laughs> all gonna be good, right? Stoke Nil, Wolves 2. The Potters were more a case of the Poppers, so loose were they at the back. The Wolves took full advantage through Costa and Doherty. Rotherham 2, Oxford United 3. The faces of the local yeoman at Millmoor were red as the home shirts as the Millers float their university challenge. Ryan Taylor put the students in the lead until Danny Wardy equalised for Rotherham, but Phil Edwards and Kane Hemmings punished the Millers with two firm strokes of the cane. Keep your 1, Blackburn 2. The Super Hoops were super pooped after Joel Lynch and Liam Feeney gave the Robbers an early 2-0 lead. Jack Bidwell did well to pull one back from the spot, but by that stage, the oars were already effed. Norwich 2, Southampton 2. The Saints were holier than down until the last minute when the Canaries Canaries viciously bit back through Stephen Naismith to leave the visitors harrowed at Carrow Road. Oh, <laughs> Come on,
3: Gandy. It's only 16. Come on. Millwall 3. Even less than that, Bournemouth
2: maybe. nil. Morrison, you're flagging you, Cummings can... and Ferguson roll on the score sheet as these undiscriminating lions snacked on the cherries at the new den. Ipswich 2, Lincoln 2. The Long-awaited confrontation between agricultural machinery and the diabolical improvisation of the imps finished 2 apiece. Hull 2, Swansea 0. The Tigers gobbled up the Swans in a one-sided clash at the KC Stadium. Hernandez proved he was well-able for anything the Welsh side could throw at him before Timon turned up right on time the timely intervention to put the game beyond reach. <sighs> oh, Huddersfield yeah. 4, Port Vale nil. A great day for the terriers of Huddersfield... ...who slaked their thirst for blood... ...on the squirming bodies of the valiants of Port Vale. Jack Payne dug them out of their burrows... ...before Casey Palmer seized them by the neck... ...with his sharp incisors... ...and Harry Bunn shook the life out of the visitors... of the clinical finish. A late second from Payne would have piled on the pain for Port Vale... ...except they were already dead. <laughs> Everton 1, Leicester 2. Sadness and confusion at Goodison Park... ...as the Toffees came unstuck... Thanks to the machinations of some cunning foxes, Lukaku sent the home supporters wild, but they were not amused by Musa's quickfire double in response. Crystal City, nil. Fleetwood Town, nil. Well out of its natural element, the Cod Army nevertheless fended off the ineffectual attacks of the Robins and took a draw back to their salty coastal <laughs> redoubt. Brighton, two. M.K. Don's, nil. M.K. Don's stroll by the seaside was rudely interrupted by some feral seagulls who swooped twice through KL and Hemed. it's Pronouncing words is more difficult than you. It is after a,
3: <laughs> Hemed to leave the visitors
2: dripping with filth all the way back to Milton Keynes. Okay, I, mean,
3: <laughs> I think that yes. will do for now. I was, It wasn't bad, was it?
2: <sighs> See, this is the problem with democracy.
3: Yeah, it's not. You
2: know, we've seen a lot of. We've seen it exposed a few times now. This is what this is what people wanted. Democratically, we've no choice but to, hmm. but to do I, this. I
3: kind of feel like maybe it's. It's similar to, you know, your parents finding you smoking for the first time. Hmm. And then they ask you to smoke that entire packet of cigarettes in uh, front of them one after another. Yeah. Uh, anyway, after all of that, Ken, it's time for your report on sport. What do you got for us?
2: Well, not a lot, to be honest. I don't want to... <laughs> I mean, I, I do encourage you to stay and hear from uh, Josh Robinson and Jonathan Liu. Uh, who we'll be talking to about the best and also about uh, some of the punditry that was happening over the weekend from particularly Paul Merson and Phil Thompson. Um, For now, I guess, um, what can we say? Lionel Messi has delivered a slap in the face to FIFA by uh, apparently announcing he's not turning up but this awards thing tonight. Uh, He is nominated along with Cristiano Ronaldo, who everybody knows is going to win, and Antoine Griezmann, who is there to make up the numbers but uh, Barcelona, because uh, they've got to play a cup game in midweek, have announced that none of their players are going. Which I guess means we don't get to see what tuxedo Lionel Messi will wear, um, and we don't get to see his reaction give to Ronaldo's. So for for all Ronaldo of us making it five four,
3: yeah. So for all of us who haven't uh, been following the split unification and then split again of the World Footballer, World Player of the Year award. What exactly is it that we're waiting to hear tonight?
2: It's basically the FIFA World Player of the Year gala. It's the same thing as they've been doing um, for quite a while now, since between 2010 or rather 2011 uh, till last year. It was being. This was done. Jimmy
3: Nesbit last year. Yeah. This was Nesbit's breakout gig.
2: Well, it was one of his gigs. Um, I mean, they, I don't know who's who's doing the emceeing for it this time but it is uh, you know it's the, it's the usual FIFA FIFA uh, thing. except it's no longer in conjunction with France football um, they, they've taken the Ballon d'Or back uh, that's the that's France football have so FIFA have apparently retitled the world player of the year award the best uh, the best FIFA men's player the best uh, FIFA women's player the best coach and so on and so forth um. So, I mean, we'll talk to Josh. Josh, it's over in Zurich. you will fill us in on what's going on over there.
3: Quite a quite a tasty five a side tournament by all by all accounts. Judging by some uh, tweets I saw earlier today, Josh will fill us in, no doubt.
2: Yeah. Um. Maradona, Battistuda, Gianni Infantino, game, uh, names like this involved in the uh, involved in the legends match. But um, so what's going on? Mesut mm-hmm. did an interview with Kicker magazine. Uh, we mentioned that Arsenal had, had won, obviously, over the weekend. Uh, Ozil tells Kicker, I'm very happy, very, very happy at Arsenal. I've let the club know I'd be ready to sign a new contract. Fans know I want to stay. Now it's just down to the club. However, it appears that there are some conditions to Ozil's mm. um, willingness to sign. Uh, if he hasn't signed, it's because he's still waiting to hear back on a couple of key issues. One of them you'd imagine, well, the, the one that's been... The angle that's been played most is the money angle. He's obviously uh, wants to be rewarded appropriately for his contribution. But also, um, he uh, he doesn't want to end up playing for a manager maybe he's not so keen on. Because he says, the club knows I'm here most of all because of Arsene Wenger. He's the one who signed me, and he's the one whose trust I have. The club also knows I want to be clear uh, what the manager is going to be in the future. So Arsene Wenger obviously is out of contract in the summer, well, you know, maybe he'll get another one. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if he did. Uh, but it sounds as though Ozil is possibly delaying a little bit until he finds out who his coach is actually going to be. Hmm.
3: What do you think Arsenal fans' reaction to this is?
2: Um, I, I don't think too many of them would be impressed at the idea that Ozil was trying to put pressure on the club to keep Wenger on. Um, because really it's not his place to do that um, however I can understand it from Ozil's point of view I mean he's not necessarily saying he would only play for Arsene Wenger um, but he is saying that he wants to see who the manager is going to be before he signs which uh, I suppose uh, you know a lot of supporters might, might think well You know, what business is it of yours? You know, you're going to give your best for that shirt. It's about the shirt, not the manager. Mm. Um, But obviously players don't really feel like that. he also had dismissive words for uh, Thierry Henry, um, who accused him of holding the club uh, hostage, which I thought was quite an inflammatory way to put it. Uncharacteristically inflammatory comment from uh Thierry Henry says everyone has this is Ozan anyway. says everyone has a right to say what they want, but what they have to say doesn't interest me. Ex players or other people who have a view don't know what's actually being said between me and the club. So and that's the situation with him. It doesn't sound as though he's he's gonna sign anytime soon, at least until they get that manager thing sorted out. Meanwhile, um it's reported that Price Centre Man have been onto Alexis Sanchez saying, You don't sign <clears throat> you don't sign either because once in the summer he'll be down to one year. Mm. They uh, say that they're going to, or are putting it about, that they're going to try and uh, sign him then. And and it's the kind of deal which at this stage, you know, if if, unless Arsenal's kind of form does improve over the next uh, couple of months, you could see him possibly being interested in that move. Um, Yeah, for sure. From a financial point of view, it's obviously PSG can probably make it worth his while. Um, But from the Champions League point of view, maybe PSG are also a better bet than the club that he's currently at. Yeah, maybe
3: maybe maybe that will. uh If you're an Arsenal fan, the idea of getting of Ozil and Wenger being taken together or leaving as a pair. Maybe there's like a, you know, maybe there's a constituency of Arsenal supporters who would think that, well, okay, that's maybe not the worst deal I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I think they do like Ozil, but I think of the two, the one that most would like, to, if you could only hang on to one of these two players, it would be Sanchez. Everybody, well, not everybody, but I think, uh, I think, I think most people would probably think that because uh, of the attitude that it's really a question of attitude. It's not really a question of of ability or technique. Um, technically, I think Ozil is every bit as good. The question is, what happens in the games? What happens from minute one to minute ninety? Sanchez, maybe it's unfair. You know, I mean, it's Özil just has that kind of style that makes it look like he's not too bothered. It just has to do with his posture and the way that he moves. You know, he's there's something slightly droopy and rakish about him you know He's he just looks as though he's kind of unruffled by all this whereas Sanchez really obviously cares maybe it's just a question of that he's more effective at playing the kind of you know wearing his heart in his sleeve in a way that's calculated to appeal to supporters I don't know but one way or the other I think people just think he cares more
3: and it is a very effective it's very effective as well like that, that idea of running around chasing lost causes hmm. actually does endear I mean there is you can do a thousand things you know that are less showy. That one thing is, you know, very quickly gets people on on your side.
2: Yeah, and it is infectious as well. I mean, if you have a player who does that, then you've got more chance of your other players doing it. Um, I do think that that Sanchez has that effect on his teammates, which I don't. I'm not sure if Özil does play them nice passes. He plays some nice passes all game, but I don't know if he really gets them thinking. Okay, winning this game is the most important thing in my life. Um, in the way that the other one does. But what else is going on? Zlatan has won a defamation case in Sweden um this is against Ulf Carson who we mentioned this story a while ago and he was yes. formerly the head coach of the Swedish national athletics team uh, and he suggested last year at a sports conference that um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic must have been doping at Juventus because he put on 10 kilos of muscle in six months which is impossible to do in such a short space of time um he was saying that was his uh That was his view Mm. as a kind of, you know, somebody who knew a little bit about exercise and about physiology. Um, He repeated then an interview, the uh, newspaper Neo Vermland's Tidning saying, I think he was doped. I'm convinced. Well, uh, Zlatan sued him and Zlatan has triumphed in that case. What do you think the payout is here?
3: Oh, uh, Five hundred thousand euro.
2: <laughs> See, this is this is what we all think. This is what we all think in in a country like Ireland. We assume that if if uh, there's well, defa- libel this, that if a defamation suit is, is is upheld, if you say something like that, I mean, it's a fairly serious accusation uh, about you know someone like Zlatan, a high profile figure, to suggest that his success owes something to doping, we kind of immediately start thinking in terms of a gigantic. Payout. Actually, the payout is twenty four thousand Swedish kroner, which is you know round about two and a half thousand euros.
0: Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, because uh in Sweden, libel really ain't no ain't no big thing. Mm. Uh, you admit you're wrong, and that's punishment enough.
3: Mm. Uh, yeah, you've been you've been sentenced to the court of public opinion, sir.
2: And and apparently in Sweden there's also some uh, legal protection for comments made to journalists. Uh, in fact, you're less, you know, you're you're kind of less uh, financially liable for for these <laughs> for these types of comments.
3: So megaphone bad, journalist good. Megaphone while walking down the street bad. Don't yeah. do journalists
2: good. So, um, so twenty four thousand kroner. It's still it's still going to sting a little bit. But uh, Zlatan's made his point, point. Uh, nobody ended up being financially ruined. And everyone carries on from here, I suppose. So, uh, I don't know how Sweden has managed to avoid collapsing into barbarism with uh, libel laws as soft as this. But somehow they're uh, they keep on trucking.
3: So we've already spoken about Wayne Rooney, but Manchester United progressed rather serenely to round four of the uh, the FA Cup uh, at the weekend.
2: Yeah, although they have an injury now to Marcus Rocco. Now, Mourinho is saying he's not, he doesn't want to sign anyone in January, which I kind of thought he might be about to sign Jose Fonch from Southampton, because Fonch put in a transfer request. There was talk of United trying to sign him in the summer. Obviously, that didn't happen, but since then, he's asked Southampton, uh, or he's told Southampton he wants to leave. Um so we'll see if that happens I mean clearly Funch is a George Mendes player um so he's a player who's on Jose Mourinho's radar let's say um and at the moment he's got uh, smalling uh you know Jones um and he's and he's lost Rocker, so that's not uh, that's and by, not ideal that the
3: African Cup of Nations
2: Yeah exactly he was also speaking uh, they've got United have got to play Hull in the semi-finals of the EFL Cup this week and um, on Hull, obviously, I've got a new manager now, uh, Marco Silva, who uh, won his first game in charge against Swansea mm-hmm. over the weekend. This is against another side with a new manager, Paul Clement. We'll be talking a bit about Marco Silva, whose appointment uh, created a bit of consternation, certainly in the Soccer Saturday studio. Um, Mourinho, as a compatriot, uh, is, uh, <laughs> takes, a, takes a more um, positive view of Marco Silva's arrival in English football. I would say so. He's a new manager, an intelligent guy. He'll organize his team for sure. I spoke to him on Friday. He knows it's difficult because they're bottom of the league, but it's a big opportunity for him. He's a good young coach. He went to Greece. Nobody knows he was champion there. Now he comes to the big one. It's a big opportunity. I hope he loses three matches against United and wins all the rest. His formation was always good. Uh, he's very stable. In spite of being him being so young, he's... He's like 40 this year. He's experienced. He's mature. I look forward. I'd love him to do well, but it's hard to jump from the bottom of the league. Um, so the question is, uh, you know, who will, who will play? I mean, obviously Manchester United made a few changes for the game against Reading, the cup game. Uh, he says against Hull, I'll play with fresh players. It's easy to know our teams. Latan, Pogba, Valencia, Herrera. Um, to win it, we have to win three matches. So they have to play Liverpool also this weekend. Liverpool are also involved in the Cup semi-finals. They've got to play Southampton. Um, And the question, I suppose, arises whether, you know, how big a priority this competition is. Mourinho says, for big clubs, a competition is a competition. I was never good at choosing them. You get a very, very busy fixture list, but you're in these competitions to try and win. I always felt it's a cup. I won it twice in Cardiff. At Wembley, the meaning is better. So why not try? We're going to try. So we'll see how it works out. Uh, The... um, well, the other half that that uh, obviously I said Southampton and Liverpool. Liverpool had a fairly disappointing uh, game. Well, it was it was interesting to see um, the reaction to this. There was quite a lot of criticism for the fact that they couldn't beat Plymouth at home. But it was the youngest side that the that had ever been mm-hmm. picked apparently in the history of Liverpool Football Club. So it was. I mean, it was it was essentially a youth side. We were talking with Lucas cu- Laver.
3: Yeah, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about. Uh, David Moyes getting a little touchy at being dis- described as the most defensive team that Jurgen Klopp had ever seen. Mm. I think if you asked Jurgen this morning, uh, David Moyes would no longer be at the top of that list. I mean, it was quite hilarious, really, what was going on. But,
2: I mean, it seems... Well, well, I, I couldn't see the problem with that. I mean, oh, well, Steve McManaman no was on the yeah, commentary lambasting Plymouth for, mm. for defending. Well, what else? Show some
3: ambition, it? League Two-side Plymouth. You
2: I saw someone pointing out. Well, this is Manchester United played more or less the same way at Anfield. You yeah. know, when that when they went there earlier in the season. So, for Plymouth to do it, I mean, McManaman was basically making the point that look, this is not. You know, this isn't like a strong Liverpool team. This is a kind of a reserve team. So you could actually try um, to be more positive. I don't know. I mean, they obviously felt it was. I mean, we we have reached a point where a big club like Liverpool probably has. You know, their reserve side probably is stronger than you know, than Plymouth. Um, I mean, it clearly looked that way the other day, but they obviously couldn't uh, score. I just don't really see how big a deal it is. I mean, clearly there's, the, the you know, the they now have an extra fixture. Um, it's not too cool, but it's not the worst thing in the World Cup club, who presumably will just play the second fixture with the same, hmm. uh, with, with a similar type of team. You know, I don't think he's too interested really
3: in... I don't think you can double down on the... or I don't think you can... Uh, at this juncture, try and change it round and say, right, okay, well, we actually really do care about the FA Cup, so now we drive all the way down to fly all the way down to Plymouth no. and play your top team there. I don't certainly don't think that's how that's going to pan out.
2: No, basically same. Also, it was emerging there that Roberto Firmino became the latest the victim of a burglary uh, among players. This is just before Christmas. Um, very sad. Uh, forensic tests have been taken at the property The Daily Mail reports And the gang are believed to have been wearing hoods With one in a blue puffer coat <laughs> so. so there's a
3: couple of hot leads then is, is what you're telling me Yeah uh, Okay, fair enough That's uh, that's pretty much it for your report on Sport Ken. I accept the challenge I call out Vicky Roy and Steve Nash Here we go Stop it
0: That's one of those things
3: Stop it How many players can do this? Duffman
0: can never die He's 34 years old
1: It's one of those
3: things. man can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. <laughs> no he, oh, he, right. he did. Oh, no he did. Oh. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league?
0: I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tandem maybe.
3: So as you mentioned there, uh, Ken Paul Merson and Phil Thompson went off on one a bit on Sky Soccer Saturday. Uh, over the appointment of Marco Silva as the new Hull City manager.
2: Yeah, I think we can we can probably hear a couple of clips of, of what Murs and Tom had to say.
0: Why has he always got to be a foreign manager? I've got nothing against foreign managers, don't get me wrong. You know, when Klopp come in, Pep Guana, these are top draw
1: managers. What, what is this, geezer, any different to Gary Rowlett?
3: Yeah, but, but I, mean, I know they talked to our managers, but we've had it with David Wagner and nobody had heard of David Wagner when he came in at Huddersfield. Yeah, we a, were all critical no, but he's of a, that. He's at but Huddersfield. He, that's not Premier
0: League. He's at Huddersfield. That's Championship. Yeah, start off. Go to the Championship, start off if you do well and then you come in the Premier You know, these, these ex-footballers, they're doing four-year, five-year courses, costing a fortune to do their badges and they don't, none of them get a chance. None of them get a chance. But Again, what does he know about Hull? Exactly. What, what does he, he know about the Premier League? What does he know? Exactly. It is quite astonishing that they've plumped for somebody like this. I totally agree. It's just <gasps> baffling when there's a lot of people out there who know about the Premier League, know what's maybe required to dig in. He's not got a clue. It's another slap in the face to all our British Thank coaches you. Thank and you. managers. And what they have done to make this appointment for six months is just embarrassing.
2: Well, Jonathan Lewis, the Daily Telegraph is waiting on the line. Jonathan, I wonder what you uh, thought when you heard all that over the weekend. <laughs>
1: um, well, first of all, I was highly amused. Um, for uh, I mean, it was, it was a pretty uh, astonishing, even by the standards of of Soccer Saturday, quite an astonishing rant, as I guess you have to put it. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was xenophobic. I thought it was slightly uh, slightly sinister in, in its its kind of demonization of the other. and I, I guess the idea of uh, you know somebody uh, signing for whole city who, who Paul Merson has never heard of is clearly a great affront to Paul Merson and, and I, I think we saw a lot of the same, sort of the same reaction to Bob Bradley.
2: Do you think it was a completely unreasonable position, though? I mean, do you think that English football, or the Premier League anyway, owes nothing to? Doesn't have any extra responsibility to English football men?
1: Um, I think that there's a, there's a very valid issue about English managers are uh, further down the further down the the divisions getting a big chance, um, and I think we're talking about new English managers here, which is why you know when Merson talked about Gary Rowett. Uh, he's pretty much the in-vogue guy at the moment. Um, Because if you see, the number of Premier League jobs that is going to British managers is actually pretty high. But it tends to be a lot of the same guys, you know, Moyes, Allardyce, Pulis, uh, all kind of rotating around the same jobs. And uh, we're seeing with with Paul Clement and uh, uh, more recently, uh, Paul Clement more recently, Gary Monk at Swansea, um, there, there are very few chances for... For young English managers to come through, and I, I, I think that that's more the issue. But but where Paul Merson has really got it confused is is conflating this idea of Premier League experience and being English. Because if you think about it, how how many young English managers out there have Premier League experience?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is it is striking the way in which the English managers, and, and including even some of the established names that you mentioned, British managers, I should say, because it's not just English guys, but some mm. of the established names you mentioned. You know, guys like um, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis. Uh, Sean Dyche and so on do appear kind of united in their uh, in their feeling that they're not getting a fair crack of the whip.
1: Yeah, and and how long was Allardyce out of work? I mean, how long was Pulis out of work? It's um, I, th- I think it all stems from a fairly. Um, I mean, I, I, I hate to politicise things like this, but I, I really do think there is a political element, which which I guess has come out in the last few months with what, what's been happening in in Britain. Uh, yeah, you know, more more generally, but there is a kind of, there is a sense that the Britain, the traditional Britain, is under siege, and there are you know it, it's being swamped with, uh, you know, British jobs, for British workers, that kind of thing. It's has being swamped with foreign labour, cheap foreign labour, trendy foreign labour, and and there's uh, there's there's a real kind of concerted movement against it, which I think is is reflective of, of more broader political patterns.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that immediately, it, it was so striking about this panel is how closely it resembled those kind of post-Brexit interviews with, you know, panels of Brexit voters complaining about immigrants sort of creaming off all the best stuff. Um, so it's no surprise that you do uh, politicize it. I just wonder why, whether, whether, uh, wh- why do you think it is that, that these managers aren't maybe getting that much of a chance. I mean, is there an element of prejudice against British managers or, or the idea that... Um, is there is there a sense that British managers ultimately aren't really that good? I mean, the phrase that Phil Thompson used was, "What does he know about the Premier League? About what's required to dig in?" Just those words, "dig yeah. in," sort of suggests that the mentality is maybe um, a little bit more old fashioned than what Premier League, a lot of Premier League owners are looking for.
1: Well, that's that's a thing. Hit the nail on the head because we're not we're not really talking about prejudice here so much, in my view, as the very opposite of prejudice, which is essentially sound judgment. There is a reason that uh, the big Serie A clubs and, and the big La Liga clubs are not queuing up to, to hire British managers in the way that they were maybe in the, in the 1980s. Um, English coaching and, and British coaching in general has been in the doldrums for a couple of decades. And like you said, the the, the product of, of the English system, coaching-wise, for, for, for quite some time has not been that good. Now, what we're seeing with guys like Gary Rowett, uh, you know, Paul Heckingbottom, Uh, at uh, at Barnsley. There's a new breed of coaches coming through Eddie Howe as well that are more receptive to continental uh, continental styles of play. They're, they're more worldly in a way and they're kind of uh, it's a new breed of English coach, which which I think is going to take some time to to gain ground because British coaches still have this kind of negative reputation throughout Europe. And, and so it's not prejudice so much as the coaches coming through the system weren't that good. Uh, and it's going to take you know quite a long time to shift that perception.
2: It is the case that there's a majority of foreign coaches in the Premier League at the moment. Um, but when you look through the English football pyramid, you know which is bigger than than uh, anyone else's uh, certainly in Europe, um, it's 71 out of 92 clubs that have uh, British managers. Do you think it's enough? I mean, is it is it a legitimate response to to sort of turn to someone like Mercer or Thompson who's making these sorts of points? He says, uh, and to say, look there is an English league for, or a British league for British players and coaches. It's called the Championship. It's actually one of the biggest leagues in the world. I mean, th- there is the opportunity there for a talented coach to prove uh, himself.
1: And make a very good living. I, I think we're even seeing with the, with the money that's flowing down from, from the Premiership to the, to the Championship teams, that is there really a huge difference in status, prestige, opportunity between the whole city job and say the Brighton job, or a big club like Leeds or Aston Villa. Um, there, there are very, very good jobs out there in in uh, you know the Championship and League well, which are going to British managers. But equally, uh, you see guys like David Wagner, uh, Huddersfield. The field is becoming broader, and you know when when you open your economy, when you open your market to the best and brightest talent from around the world, and, and, you, and you you essentially try and make it as much of a, a level playing field as you can. Uh, that that surely is only going to go to increase the quality across the board, and and English coaches uh, are going to have to going to have to step up, and, and we're seeing signs that some of them are.
2: I mean, I do think it's interesting the way you, you can kind of see uh, the wider situation reflected in this like uh, Soccer Saturday panel discussion, um, and I think for for a long time uh, English football the Premier League has has maybe been a bit self-satisfied in how it's looked at itself as being a functional model of, of multiculturalism, a kind of a successful internationalist enterprise. You know, your passport doesn't matter. It's a meritocratic system. It's kind of showing us all how, um, how this kind of internationalism might work in practice. It's been this sort of example and definitely has, has congratulated itself a bit on the difference that it's made to wider attitudes around, say, racism. In society, do you think over the last little while that it's kind of been exposed as as a bit of a myth that that really, you know, the it, you know, it, while there there are plenty of people who go to football matches in England, cheer for foreign players, and then will vote to have those foreign players' kind of rights of employment taken away.
1: I think that's I think there's there's quite an interesting paradox there because I mean I remember the, the Premier League, in I, I mean I can't remember. The Premier League ever really taking a political start on anything, but, but actually coming out in favour of Brexit before—sorry—in in, favour of remaining before the referendum. And I, I thought that, I thought that was a, an astonishing thing for for a, a governing body to do. And and there is a certain paradox there uh, in that I think it's very possibly out of step with the vast majority of football going fans and uh, a lot of um, a lot of the country as a whole. That it's it's kind of buttered its bread. Uh, on, on the side of you know multiculturalism, internationalism, globalism, uh, obviously on, on the back of you know uh, you know quite rapacious market capitalism as well, and it'd be very interesting to see how how this paradox kind of plays out because yeah there's there's a there's a xenophobic street running through English football as well
2: in the case of marco silva the person who uh, kind of was the political footballer kicked this off i guess in, in the first place is could you say that maybe the best argument for him not knowing much about the premier league is that he actually took the whole job i mean there's no way that he <laughs> there's no way he can succeed he he's just going to end up being i mean we're going to have paul Merson and phil thompson sitting there in may going well you know we we were right about marco silva
1: exactly and and it's it's kind of a, a sad for marco silva that he's He's been going to, going to be held up, you know, rightly or wrongly, as, a, as a, a totem for foreign managers taking on Premier League jobs. In the way that, say, when Tim Sherwood fails at Tottenham, it's not because all English managers are terrible. Or when Jose Mourinho fails at Chelsea, it, it's not held up as like a, a wider Portuguese failing. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I think we can say with with a fair degree of certainty is that now, Mar- you know, Marco Silva. Will know a lot more about the Premier League than Paul Merson will have known about Marco Silva.
2: Jonathan, thanks a so million for uh, coming to the show today.
1: Cheers, Ken. Thanks. We're all
0: we haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. Timbuktu. They're all just headphones. You don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after
1: that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu.
0: How have
2: England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um... No panic, calm straight
0: down, continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's halves. It's been the perfect response, you'd think that no problem. Beating. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front,
1: Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsen. Oh my oh word. My oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, talk just us say, it. Sigthorsen.
2: <laughs> he can, just cannot.
3: Who is the best? It's a question as old as time itself, and FIFA are about to answer that most vexed of questions in Zurich tonight, but before we go over to Zurich, I think it's time for some more of this.
2: The magpie is renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and eleven magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren.
0: Look at that! Oh,
3: look at that! that? Oh, oh, my God!
0: oh, that's a magnificent go! That? Interesting, very interesting.
3: Oh, Ken's good. It wasn't bad, was
2: it? <laughs> Brentford 5, Eastleigh 1. The Spitfires of Eastleigh proved no match for the busy bees of Brentford. Field, vibe, field and sores provided the sweet, sweet honey as Eastleigh's boys ended up bailing out over enemy territory. For you, Tommy, the FA Cup 2017 is over. <laughs> Bolton <laughs> nil, Palace nil. The Trotters snored, the Eagles soared. Nobody scored. Blackpool nil, Barnsley nil. Both the Tangerines and the Tykes respected the old-fashioned romance of the Cup Nobody wanted to score on this the first day. (laughs) Barrow nil, Rochdale 2. It proved an uphill struggle for Barrow, who soon found themselves careering down Dale and out of the cup, thanks to Ian Henderson's brace. (laughs) There was
3: a a sideways look there during that that betrayed a lot of Ken's feelings about that. Particular ret- well, Accrington
2: Stanley 2, Luton Town 1. Goals by Sean McConville and Omar Beckles meant Stanley could stand over the prone body of the Hatter, screaming, Say my name! Say my name! After this chilling display of superiority at the Crown Ground, for once, nobody was asking, who were they? <laughs> Manchester United 4, Reading 0. The biscuit men of Reading probably sensed that Wayne Rooney was the man of fear, and the England captain just took just seven minutes to feast on their sweet biscuity flesh. Martial proved partial to his chance when Reading off it up before Al Habsi made a hash and rash the bash made a big splash <laughs> Spurs 2, villain ill lions against cockerel sounds like a fascinating gift lopsided blood sport and so proved at White Hart Lane, though not in the way you would expect these lions were gentle. the cockerel strutting and angry. Ben Davis leapt in a flurry of flying feathers to bewilder the prepared visitors before son dispatched them with a late stroke of his sharp spurs. <laughs> Middlesbrough 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil. The towers of the ICI plant twinkled down on the riverside as these visiting owls succumbed to the smoggies. Grant Ledbetter might as well be called Grant Lead Poisoning for the toxic effect his opener had in the wise but frail birds. Negredo and Daron gleefully ran up the score. Chelsea 4, Peterborough Wood. Doubtless a fine collection of ghouls by Pedro, William, and Batchuay, but this was the story of one brave lion cut down in his prime. As Lion King John Terry got his angles wrong and chopped down Lee Angle to earn a scarcely deserved red card. Liverpool nil, Plymouth nil. Pilgrims travelled in their droves to find one of the great cathedrals of football, guarded by a youthful group of acolytes. Nobody seemed quite sure what to do, so they stood around for a while and went home. Cardiff one, Fulham two. The Blues of Cardiff briefly led through Pilkington before Johansson and Cessignon ensured that it was the cottagers who came away from this brief grapple with a twinkle in their eye. That's it. That's
3: actually That it. is actually it. Yeah, wow. Ken, well, I'd like to thank you for that. Ken's
0: Ghouls.
3: I wish it wasn't bad, was it? <clears throat> Democracy that, doesn't work. That Herculean effort. I know that. I'm, re- I'm really genuinely surprised you didn't just leave the nil else out. I mean, it is Ken's Ghouls. It's not Ken's ghoul yeah. Match reports. Well, there was just there was a lot of nil nils. Because I, I was watching matches today on Saturday, night, I was like, "Well, Ken's going to be delighted with this. The amount of nil nils." Yeah, no, no, no. They're at least too short. Sure. Nothing if not a completist, Ken. Yeah, uh,
2: well, I feel as though we've had a lot. I mean, it's always this this weekend, you know. This weekend every year, such a great mm-hmm. weekend for football. Such a great great weekend for this show. There's always so much to talk about. Um. And in, in order, I think, to complete the excitement that we're feeling, um, all that's really left to us to do is to go to Switzerland and Zurich, uh, the city of Zurich by the lake, where Josh Robinson of the Wall Street Journal is waiting to talk to us. Josh, you have uh, got the call again to go over to this FIFA ceremony, but it's the best. I understand this here. This is they're they're calling it the best. The best is seriously what FIFA have gone for.
0: Listen, they kept it simple. It's just the
2: best. Uh, so that's, that's the whole name. So do we have any idea or have people sort of, has the story kind of emerged as to how the split with France football happened? Because, I mean, I remember being at the World Cup in South Africa when this partnership was announced. It, it ran for, I guess, six or five or six years. Uh, and now we've split again to Ballon d'Or and FIFA the best. Do we know what went on there?
0: I think it's part of a larger effort of FIFA just to bring things back in-house. Um, since the end of the, the bladder years, they've, they've really just wanted to take back control of every possible revenue stream. And that, I mean, we're talking, in the big picture, we're talking about tickets and marketing and things like that. But I think right down to uh, the smaller things like the best.
2: This thing actually makes money for them?
0: They must think it does. Um, I, I think it's an effort, really, just to control every aspect of their branding. Why share it with France Football when they could have it in house? Okay. I think that's a, their view.
2: Is there any debate? I mean, one possible reason is that there is now uh, a debate over which is the more prestigious award. I mean, what, what, you know, what's what's the thinking in that? The France Football one is the one with the history.
0: Yeah, but if it gets people talking about it. Um, I think they're just perfectly happy for the publicity and for people to be talking about football and not anything else.
2: So what kind of uh, spread have FIFA put on in order to remind everyone that the best is the best?
0: Well, the uh, the event is tonight, and they've, they've rented out a hall, and they'll do the, the usual um, sort of red carpet and, and outrageous suits. Um, but this morning is the, uh, the, the auxiliary event, and that's a, a Legends tournament that uh, has thrown up some pretty awkward combinations because on the same pitch we've got Gabriel Batistuta, Diego Maradona, and I've just actually witnessed Diego Maradona being held back at a penalty by uh, CONCACAF President Sunil Gulati. (laughs) (laughs) What was uh, Diego's reaction to that? Uh, Well, he's been complaining a lot um, in these games. I've seen about 40 minutes of him and about two minutes of those were spent not talking.
2: Right. Johnny Infantino... Uh, partnering Gabriel Batistuta up front?
0: Yeah. Well, I guess when you're the boss, you get to pick the teams, right? He's so, given himself Maradona and Batistuta in his, uh, in his pickup game. And, and with all of that in front of all those legends, uh, he skied one from about 8 yards out.
2: So he did, he did get a touch on the ball?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, his touch is not quite up to uh, the quality of some of the others.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, The actual award tonight, or, or the the men's best player award, seems to be uh, more or less, uh, you know, decided already.
0: Yeah, it looks like it's going to head to Cristiano Ronaldo. There's really not much argument about it because they figure, it, as always with these awards, it becomes rather than an award for who's performed the best or who's been most valuable to their team, it becomes an award of who's won the most awards and. Um, wow like uh kind of like hollywood things just pick up momentum and i guess ronaldo is uh, winning the golden globes as well
2: is there is there a similar um is there a similar sense of uh, we already know who the winner is with the women's award marta Carly-Lloyd and melanie beringer i think are the nominees
0: um well it's more up in the air partially because people are, you know this was not a year where um there was a, a sort of major women's tournament outside the the olympics um, and that's what it will be judged on. Um, it's not like there was a World Cup as well or, or anything like that. So um, it's, it's up in the air, and I think people are just watching it less, which is why it's uh, it may be more. It may have more an element of surprise.
2: Um, do you expect to see from any of these uh, footballers any political statements? I mean, you mentioned the Golden Gloves. We've seen there were a couple at that. Um, Carly Lloyd, I think, maybe has had... Uh, has had things to say on the anthem protests in the United States over the last few months.
0: Well, she's been very vocal on a number of fronts, not just the anthem protests, but the U.S. Women's National Team is currently locked in a uh, contract dispute with the U.S. Soccer Federation over uh, their collective bargaining agreement. They want they want to be paid uh, better than they are and closer to what the men make. Um, they want to be guaranteed better conditions for when they travel because... For instance, last year they had a match that was uh, in Hawaii that was called abandoned as they arrived because the pitch was too shabby. Um, so, she, yeah, she's been quite outspoken. I don't know if she'll take this stage to uh, to make any of those comments, but uh, FIFA tends to discourage those anyway, as we well know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see that the coach, the coach award is maybe the most competitive here because you've got three uh, guys, Claudio Ranieri, Fernando Santos and Zinedine Zidane. All of whom have done actually quite amazing things uh, this year. I mean, it could you could make an argument for any one of these guys winning. The most famous is Zinedine Zidane. So does that mean he will win?
0: Well, FIFA loves a brand name, and Zidane definitely has that. But the yeah, exactly. But you make a good point. It's each one of those guys um, wasn't supposed to be able to do anything with his team. You know, Zidane was sort of seen as a guy who's going to fall backwards into this great team and and sort of struggle along until uh, and whatever happened was on the strength of his players not on him Raniero, we well know the story and um fernando santos sort of uglied his way to uh, to a european title um uh, it, that one, that one, probably is the most compelling tonight.
2: The uh, it's not just all about the the awards and the glamour. You're, I, I guess, uh, Josh, going to be there also for the important business that's happening on Tuesday with the FIFA Council meeting. What exactly is on the agenda there?
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the real uh, the really meaningful thing happening this week here. Um, They're talking about World Cup expansion starting in 2026, and it seems to be a done deal already. That. Uh, they're going to vote for a 48-team World Cup, and the preferred format would be 16 groups of three. Hmm. Um, I mean, but people are telling me that that it's all but done.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, the vote tomorrow. Uh, the reason that it's all but done is that apparently everybody agrees this is just so obviously a good idea. How could anybody have any issues with it? Which, which kind of makes me wonder why Seth Blatter didn't come up with this idea.
0: Well, it's, uh, you know. He had to sort of wait until the, the initial expansion to 32, which he pioneered as well, uh, sort of settled in. And he, he was already taking the World Cup to new foreign lands instead of uh, inviting countries that had never been there. Um, but the, with 48 teams, what's going to be interesting, and you know, it, it is a classic bladder move. And Infantino has proven himself to be right out of the bladder mold in that respect. Promise the federations more money, promise them World Cup slots, and um, and you'll curry favour where uh, where the most votes are, which is Africa and Asia.
2: Mm. Do we know uh, then uh, at this stage how those extra sixteen places are going to be allocated across the various uh, confederations?
0: No, and that remains the the politically tricky thing here. Um, and there's there's been talk of various confederations, namely Europe trying to hijack the whole thing by uh, demanding extra World Cup places. Um, but for I think everyone will sort of sort it out. Everyone will get more places, and they'll still find a way to shaft Oceania and give them just one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Josh, listen, I hope you enjoy the festivities tonight and the business tomorrow. I have a good time in Zurich.
0: Thanks very much. FIFA made a movie recently, did uh, they?
2: John Delaney could run anything they did, they did, about actually. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Zach Blatter. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way.
1: Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that.
2: No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, we wanted two excuses.
0: He said, no one speaks to me like that. You said. And I said what well, I did.
1: And
2: that was it. We going to expletive us. Then I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She she was here to tell you, just stared at her for seven seconds and I said, Move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, uh-huh. I there was some expletive views, we came to an, an agreement. It's a very good agreement <laughs> and you have used a figure there Well I to you. Yeah.
3: Okay, that's pretty much it for today's show. You can contact us, of, of course, on Twitter at SecondCaptains, facebook.com forward slash SecondCaptains, or email editor at secondcaptains.com. We have another show out later today with news on Munster's facile win over Rasking Metro. We have Shane Horgan and Liam Toland on the line. And we celebrate the fact that Davey Fitz is back in our lives. So, for now, Ken, thank you. Thank you too, Karen, And uh, thank you for listening.
2: It's the second time it's gone on. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those,
0: those boys.